To have a good harvest, one must plant good seeds and must also use the right kind of fertilizer. The carrots have grown large and firm. How good they will taste. Well, happy fall, y'all. Well, actually, in a couple days, it'll be fall, so... There you go. You made it through another gardening season. Congratulations. Um, but that brings up a good... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You can interrupt me. Go ahead. I mean, come on. <laughs> if that's not worth a bail, what are we doing here? Good I don't even grief. know anymore. I was going to say that this is a perfect opportunity to talk about time-sensitive vegetables. So we are marching close to frost, wouldn't you say? How far? Yeah. Single how file far along are you until your first frost? I think as of this, when this airs, I think I'm like five to six weeks. My first frost is November first. Average first frost. Um, I you know what? I forgot when my first frost is. I keep it keeps eluding me, and I feel like every time I say it, it changes. I feel like I just make it up in my head. So I'm going to give everybody the uh, actual first frosted because I'd like to know myself. Um, and it may have changed. But mine just shifted because I think they did a recalculation. Oh, I've got some stuff to say about that, too. No. Oh, here we go. Nothing like that. Just <laughs> like in general. Um, man, why is it so difficult this year? November 3rd is my first frost date, technically. So mm-hmm. we're still a little ways off, but we are getting close now. I, and this is <clears throat> to set the precedence for this conversation. When you get your first frost, it's pretty much almost frost after frost after frost, right? Yes. When I get my first frost, I might not have another frost for a month. So there is that distinction between the two of us in our different zones. So I do want to keep that in mind wherever you are that, you know, how we handle things may be different because, you know, we know our growing areas as you should know yours and your frost dates and the average weather and stuff like that. So there's a reason why I call it yo-yo season slash the heartbreak zone. Uh, Yeah, that's, you know... Let's pack it up. I mean, that's that. There's nothing more important that we're going to say in this episode besides yeah. that, right? You know, um, and and obviously you have the advantage when it comes to that. But a part of your weather pattern also leads you up to hot, yeah. hot, 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 hot. You know, like all yeah. the way up into it. Like you're planting your cool weather vegetables, and it's kind of like you know, where's the sunscreen because it's still baking out. Um, but yeah, 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 it's absolutely. And it took, you know, of course, it for some that may be like just venturing into later season gardening, it took me a while to really understand what that meant, you know. Um, and we could talk about what that means for me specifically. Well, in a bit. I'm sure we'll get into it. Um, but we do need to talk about the time sensitive vegetables and, you know, regarding frost, stuff like that. We're going to really focus on this time of year. We may revisit it when it gets to be warm again. Um, why are you holding your hand up like you're palming a basketball? This is my signal for when the spotlight's oh, okay. on me. I just okay, to I got that. that. Spotlight's on Batavia, everybody. But um, in the meantime, if you would like, you can support the show by becoming a Patreon. 
or you could go and do the Apple subscriptions and get an extra episode a month and also know that you're helping support the show and keep us on the air so we can help more gardeners learn to grow and grow for change. And don't worry, I'm not ending the episode because I said that. So we're going to keep going. So um, let's see. If I had to think about an order to do this in, I would say that we should probably start with the more sensitive stuff and move forward because I don't know everybody's zone. Obviously, I don't know where your exact zone is, wherever the listener lives. But um, I know that there's probably somebody listening that is just marching straight to their first frost date. So um, the things that you plant in fall, what would you say would be the most sensitive to frost? Um, I'm going to say some of the Asian greens like bok choy. Oh, good one. I think there's something about the softness that, and I'm going to go ahead and, and cheat and use this word, the tenderness of those leaves uh, that have a hard time bouncing back. Okay. Right. You know, so there are two things that we'll talk about. We'll talk about something that kills the root of a plant mm-hmm. or as, you know, uh, you know, some people may say, especially if you're in Louisiana, the root, which is a whole different conversation. Yeah. Um, so the root, and then there is whatever's on top of the soil, like, Foilage. you know, the leaves and such, or the fruit. I have trouble saying that word, and you know that. You know that's the reason why yeah, I didn't say why I that word. You. Yeah, I used to say foil, mm-hmm. foliage, and somebody made fun of me. It's foliage. Mm-hmm. Um, this was years ago. Somebody mm-hmm. made fun of me. But um, no. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> No, me. it wasn't you. It was before you. It was before you. Um <laughs> But there's also mm-hmm. aspects to that we'll get into to recognize as we get through each one of these parts of them, you know, what can help a plant rebound too and make it last longer. So just because mm-hmm. it's tender, it doesn't mean that it's mm-hmm. the, you know, a death sentence for it. Now, just to get it out of the way, tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers, squashes, anything you grow in the summertime, more than likely that puts a fruit on frost comes it's gone so just do yeah. keep that in mind but we're, we're gonna we're focusing on stuff that's planted for fall and um i don't have experience with bok choy in the cooler weather so i'm actually going to do that this year which i'm i'm excited to see because i did it over the spring and i was super successful but i was going the opposite way mm-hmm. and i was battling the heat so coming yeah. this way we'll see how it goes but i also plan to put it in my greenhouse where there's more protection so that should help. Um, mm-hmm. But lettuce is another one, too. So, yeah, and I think that, um, you know, the, gosh, lettuce probably, there are probably more varieties of lettuce than oh, like sure. anything else. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and, and I've had lettuce in the garden pretty late. And it's a mixed bag. You know, even sometimes when I've had frost and a variety has survived it, in other cases, you know, it doesn't. Um, and then some of some of that has to do with getting down to 32 degrees Fahrenheit and how long you're staying there for even that first night, you know. Have you ever grown um, head lettuce? I think that's... Uh-oh. An embarrassing yeah. moment on... <laughs> Have I? Oh, yes, I've grown head lettuce. Has it ever formed a well, head? No, no. I've never grown head so. lettuce. So my, because <clears throat> my thought, you know, I, I usually grow romaine types, 
I've grown like the mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, leafy and lettuce. I've grown like um is it safe to say like a loose leaf lettuce? Is that that's technical yeah. term? Mm-hmm. Um and I don't care for that, so I don't really dabble with it too much, but I feel like the loose leaf lettuce is more tender than the romaine lettuce, but I think that and if I had to assume, which I'm going to go right on a limb and do it, that the head lettuce would probably be less tender than the romaine. I would just have to assume that. Yeah, I mean, I think it. Um, so I've tried like a few different varieties in the spring. It it bolts before it could get to the forming of the head. So it will. I'll continue to try it. Um, head lettuce is a lot of lettuce for yeah, me. Yeah, I just too. don't care for it. Um, you know, since I generally use the cut and come again method. Um, the there's something about that I'm picturing like, and for this conversation right now, let's just use iceberg yeah. lettuce because you know it's this big yeah. solid head. You know, I kind of think about like if it's freezing all the way through, you're done with that too. That's the thing, you know. Um, so. A light frost is something that, you know, maybe the outer leaves would be damaged, but maybe the, you know, the majority of the head. If you have a head of lettuce in your garden and a frost is coming, yeah. cut it out. I mean, cut the head out. <laughs> well, no, I mean, uh, um, let's not trip. They can take a light frost, you know, and I mean, mm-hmm, there is mm-hmm. different ratings and frosts and freeze and stuff like that. You know, a light frost is like 32, 31 degrees. Um, so, you know, it can definitely take that. And enhance the flavor and make it sweeter but um that's something you know now i do i want to say something and this is a little insight into my thought process behind growing vegetables and stuff which it may be helpful for some people but you know when i think about the different types of lettuces like we just went through and even though i haven't grown the head lettuce i'm just you know as i think about it i'm like well the the leaf is thicker so it's crunchier which typically mm-hmm. means that it's more hardy right typically it doesn't have to be but it's also filled with a lot more water so there's that mm-hmm. there's an issue there too and when i look at it like loose leaf lettuce and even romaine like if it froze it'll get you know kind of soft you can cut that out mm-hmm. but as far as like a yeah. um a head lettuce goes, I don't think you can really cut it out too successfully if it got down to the core. The benefit is it's, you know, you could remove outer leaves and you probably, you know, still get your head lettuce. So whenever I go to grow a new vegetable, I kind of look at the plant itself. And this is before I even get the seed or anything. I'm just like thinking in my head. And then I start kind of forming an opinion mm-hmm. about what possibly could happen before I go to it. And that can kind of help me visualize what's going to happen in my garden so i do that a lot actually more than i'd like to admit (laughs) for um for me generally you know so my average first frost would be november the first that's the average date and by then there's very little new growth of anything happening Right. You know, so when I say like cut the head of lettuce out, it's like I'm basically, as I've said before, using my garden as storage. Yeah. Right. So the roots are still intact and the, you know, it hasn't started to break down. You know how like every step from your plant to your kitchen, you lose nutrients when you mm-hmm. harvest something. Yeah. So I leave it in the the garden a while longer, you know, until I am ready to get to it. Um, and 
But, you know, so whatever I'm cutting away, whatever's left is what's going right. to be left. You know, we could, I mean, I've had pretty warm Thanksgiving days, you know, we've, I've had some pretty warm days in December, but you fold in all of, you know, the, the least amount of daylight is where we're headed towards, you know, the absolutely cooler, cooler, cooler temps and the way these plants are, again, there's not a lot, not a lot of new right. growth, um, which I think is, it's important to note. That's for me in my area. I've never been able to gauge for you, like is everything kind of at a standstill or are things still in my area growing? like in the winter time and you're no yeah november going late fall going into usually december. around december it, it's it's a mixed bag um if we are getting warm days things will grow but usually like mid-december to about mid-january the garden gets pretty stagnant um i don't think mm-hmm. there's a lot of development occurring but once we get to about mid-January, and we can start to get some warm days. We'll still be cold, and it can go either way. We can have like really cold days or pretty warm days. And when we get those warm days, things start to pick up. And then come February, it's like it just mm-hmm. kind of starts steadily improving after that. But it's, I mean, a lot of that has to do too within my growing space, the amount of shade that the, the garden gets. So it does make a big difference. Mm-hmm. But, and I have to take that into account. So, um, one thing we can say, well, hold on, let me wait before we get to this part. Let's, um, let's go through a couple more just tenderish plants, like in order that we need to keep an eye out on. So we've got bok choy, lettuce. What's another one that's kind of more tender? Um... I think things like arugula and chard is probably like now we're teetering on to, you know, it won't wipe them out, but you may deal with more damage than, you know, it's going to be worth for you to continue to to babysit those plants. Yeah, and I would say that cauliflower is right there with it. So um, in my... Mm -hmm. I've never grown cauliflower Yeah, in in my experience, cauliflower is more tender than broccoli. So, you know, you get a lot of that Mm -hmm. damage and then they're just... The problem is there becomes a point of no return. Where it's like you start to get damaged, you cut it away, you start to get more damage, you cut it. Next thing you know, you've got a stalk with like a, a, a cauliflower or just a couple leaves on it that just can't keep up with the growth. There's nothing to feed the plant. And that's why we want to get things started as early as possible. So if you're in, I mean, even in up where Batavia is, you still have a couple weeks of growth. Like you can still get, if you pick a hardy enough plant, you can still go and get a start from a store or some kind of seller and put it in the ground and still get that growth to hopefully help you get through that. But by planting the garden out appropriately, because the ones that we just mentioned, I would say they would go to a, a light freeze, which would be probably 30 to 28 degrees. That's I think that's light freeze territory. Yeah, I've had a- I've had arugula that starts to look like the slimy lettuce, like in your crisper yeah. that you buy from the grocery store and you look up and day three, it's all kind of icky. Like I've had it look like that after we get down to, cause I mean, that's 32 yeah. is freezing, like hard stop. Right. You know, so, um, once it gets down there, um, chard, it depends. I, I'm still torn between if it's the more mature, the plant is the better it does or the younger, the plant is the better it does. So I've had some, um, some chars uh-huh. survive, 
as far as the plant goes and I've had leaves absolutely damaged and it's gone both ways smaller plants versus uh, larger more mature more specifically larger leaves let me say that they're a little bit more floppy yeah I've had that and then um broccoli is would be my next one that would be start to get kind of damaged mm-hmm. pretty good now they're surprisingly pretty hardy until you get the head that's the trick that head is tender um a lot more tender than the leaves so a lot of times what people will do and we'll get into protecting too but specifically for this plant if you have the head they can take the leaves and i've seen people like rubber band them over just to protect the frost from setting on it so you can do that too but Mm -hmm. you know again this is a little bit harder of a frost that we're talking about now a little bit harder of a freeze um and then i think and correct me if i'm wrong you go right into like kale cabbage um rutabagas turnips like they're all pretty hardy I've never had cabbage in my garden that late, but I feel like, you know, I wanted to bring this up with the head lettuce. I feel like that's kind of in the same family. Now, obviously, the leaves of cabbage are thicker than any head lettuce you're going to have. Um, but I'm not sure how well that plant would survive. And and let me say that the balance between how much of the cold hits that plant. Like, I feel like once if it freezes, it's done. Right. You know, so bouncing between frost and, and freezing um just based on the way the leaves are folded on yeah. on each other now sure i mean if you peel back a lot you probably have something in the center that's still good as it works mm-hmm. its way through um i've had kale look floppy and bounce back just fine and when i say just fine every leaf isn't saved don't get me wrong so but kale and cabbage are the two plants that last the longest in my garden every year if they get taken out so that is one thing and kale is of all the plants the hardiest of them all so i rarely if my plant is established enough i rarely have a dead plant in from just pure frost now we're not factoring in pests we're not factoring in a combination of things but i'm just saying in general from just cold if I've had like a good year and I haven't had a lot of treatments to do and everything, typically speaking, that mm-hmm. kale will last the longest and cabbage is right behind it. The problem comes in when we have a wet winter, then we start to have problems because mm-hmm. then we start getting rots and stuff like that. Um, so that's something that you do because, you know, cabbage sits low to the ground. So that moisture yeah. just kind of stays around those bottom leaves. And I, I will get rot on the stem. But as far as like just cold, maybe an outer leaf is gone. But if that if it's starting to head, it's generally it's going to make it. So um, that's my experience. Mm, okay. But mm-hmm. again, our winters are totally different. And so the. Ki- yeah. Well, I mean, it's I'm not I can't imagine that have cabbage once winter hits was it 21st of december or something um i've had kale in my garden and collards of course which i'm sure we are going to get to um and i think you're right like how many snows right. can it really take um what's you know? snow and fortunately for me what is snow hmm? you know what i mean like that's the thing is like we don't even get that so yeah yeah yes i mean we've had you know 
six, eight, ten inches some winters. Now I haven't had food in the garden then. Um, and then when I say winters, I mean December's, excuse me. And other December's, it's been pretty dry. I think it's a really, really good point about how wet your area yeah. is, though. Um, and that that definitely that definitely kind of impacts when you should be pulling things out of the garden, what methods you should be taking to try to protect them. Um, so all of that folds in. It's If it's your first fall going into winter gardening and you're anywhere in between our zones, man and I, you know, just prepare yourself for some loss. Like that's, we're pushing the envelope here. <laughs> yeah, but it's not impossible. So, so some things just won't do what you want right. them to do. And it's not impossible though. That's the, I mean, I think that's the important part is it does take a little bit of human intervention, but it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. um, last year, I had a lot of losses, but my losses were caused by overcrowding. Cause, so what happened was I seeded mm -hmm. and then I had an animal get into my bed and stir up all the, the soil. But then what happened on top of that was everything germinated. So I was like, well, I'll just leave it. And then I just got like this mass of like plants and there was just no, it was zero airflow getting into it. And what happened was I was getting, um, what was it? It was like a white fungus rot. I can't remember the name of it. And mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I had I to pull now. that yeah. stuff up. Um, and once I did that and I went through, once I noticed that, which it took a lot longer than I'd like to admit to notice that there was an issue and I pulled everything out that was bad left what was there with some spacing. Guess what happened? Things started to grow again, but they were getting airflow, mm -hmm. stuff like that, because that soil stays so wet and moist in the wintertime. I mean, I don't even have to water in the wintertime barely at all. Maybe once a week, if that. So, you know, that's yeah. most people's rainy season. Yeah, carrots, along with the other roots that you were talking about, that's a good example yeah. of something that, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people, I've not done it myself, I've seen people harvest carrots, like digging them yeah. up out of snow. Yeah, they can, they can definitely take it, but they can also rot in the process. So there's a little bit of both mm -hmm, too, but mm -hmm. if we just focus on temperature, let's keep it real, son, and just focus on one thing that we can, you know, try to manage then, you know, collards is one you brought up. I think that's one of, if not the hardiest vegetable you can put in your garden as far as freezing goes. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. I think that, um, and we're generally saying collards and kale, but they're d various varieties. Like there's some varieties for kale that are bred to take the cold. Mm -hmm. Right. Like they are designed for winter. Um, and then I, I imagine that there's the same thing for collards. I've only grown a few kind of collards. Don't worry, I'm expanding. So I'm, I'm saying that as a disclaimer, there may be some collards that are a little bit more. I shouldn't even use the word tender. Aren't as cold right. hardy as other collards may be. There is a winter choy now that I think I can actually picture it. And it has a picture uh, in the package with snow around it. So I mentioned bok choy at the top of the episode, which again, it's, it's right. just much more tender. Um, and the example of the winter choy is the right. exact opposite. Um, I think um, tatsoi, uh, T-A-T-S-O-I, I stumbled across this a few years ago. It's super, super is cold it? tolerant, super hardy. Mm -hmm. It's um, I think it's called corn salad. 
or some some other kind of you know it took on some type of uh you know uh play name for it um mach m-a-c-h-e the gardener that i followed some years back that was in the chicagoland area and he grew or at least he maintained his garden in an unheated hoop house um i picked up a lot of vegetables that i saw doing well in his garden now he had multiple layers of i've protection, seen that video he had like right, an abnormal amount of layers going on yeah, like it's, you know, the first layer of plastic over the bed and then he had an actual greenhouse that was, you know, had plastic film around it. Um, I think even maybe one another inside of that greenhouse, he also had like um, a uh, what do you call them with the uh, cold frames with the mm-hmm. plastic or glass top. Um, so. So, yeah, I mean, he, it was definitely his intention. And I'm certain that he got to the point of like vegetables surviving in January, February, maybe they really were kind of dormant where he really wasn't able to harvest them. Um, but he definitely, as things kind of started, the, the days started to yeah. get a little bit longer, things bounced back. And that's that I have aspired to do that kind of thing. But boy, is that that's like on my 30 year list, maybe 13 years. I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, you gotta be dedicated um, for that, you know, um, yeah, now, yeah. So very yeah. intentional, so, too. Just real quick before we get into that, because that was a very good segue. I do want to mention spinach. Spinach is very hardy, um, but it is also very susceptible to being wet all the time. So just remember that, too. Spinach is right up there with collards, I believe. They can take a lot. Um, so, But it's also very sensitive to heat, so keep that in mind. Um, now, going yeah. into what Batavia was talking about as far as like helping these time sensitive vegetables. So you can go all the way back to the beginning and start with your bok choy and your lettuces and stuff like that. And creating a simple hoop house makes a world of difference for a number of reasons. So like in my area where I mentioned at the top of the show that like we'll get a a frost and then we may go another month without one throwing a quick cover over it can save me from that initial cold blast. And then I really haven't skipped a beat because one, the plants that are in there are totally ready for it. And you know, they can take the cold and B I've kept that soil warmer through that process. So they can still just bounce back really quick. Um, The other benefit to that is when you have them covered with plastic, they rebound from the freeze quicker. And that is mm-hmm. something that I've learned for all of these vegetables from bok choy all the way to collards and spinach. It's the, the quickness of the rebound of the temperatures the next day that make all the difference in the world in the survival rate of your plants. End of story. Yep. So, um, and for plastic make sure the plastic isn't touching the leaves um but i have also started to use frost cover which is more of like a cloth like material you it's like not that? cloth but you you get my point compared i like to it the plastic? and i i hate to admit that i liked it compared to plastic yeah like the plastic is just such a pain i'll probably still use it in some places the plastic is more durable um all of it gets icky you know, by the time you go through like a full winter, um, 
plastic is much more economical compared to the frost cover. That's the only reason why I say I hate that. I, you know, I, I like it so much. I've had the same frost cover. I think it. So there's different um, grades of the frost cover. Like it's supposed to provide protection down to 28 degrees Fahrenheit. It's supposed to provide protection down to and so on and so forth. And there's light transmission that shifts the more protection you get you could be down to like 50% light transmission, which again, if you're maintaining vegetables, doesn't really matter that much. But to your point, if I have, let's say at on November, uh, October 31st, let's pretend the temperatures are dropping. It's been 40 degree, high 30 degrees overnights for a week. It's just, you know, again, we'll go through this. And then I'm watching the temperature decline. It's, it's dark much earlier right you know so with daylight savings time coming up it's probably six or seven o'clock when it's getting dark now i'm just you know estimating this stuff here so by the time you get to eight nine ten o'clock my temperatures are 36 37 degrees let's say midnight i get down to 32 degrees this is the moment right from midnight up until what time does it take to get above 32 degrees and 33 doesn't count like it needs to be like back in the 40s and sunny for that plant to rebound if it takes me all the way until two o'clock the next afternoon to reach that temperature my plants are still struggling through the next night which for me in my area could be getting back closer to 32 degrees so it goes through that whole dance and it doesn't mean I've had you know, situations where it's been three or four days of that and my collards will still bounce back. My kale will still bounce back on the other side of it. Most everything else is going to be done once you've had three, four or five days of pretty consistent freezing temps. So uh, I have not used the frost cloth. Um, I use the plastic and I actually really don't even really need to use it. But it is, first of all, I don't like using plastic. Um, Second of all, like you said, it's kind of a pain. Um, so I have been interested in possibly switching to something and the, at the rate I use it, I'm not mm-hmm. overly concerned with how much, um, you know, with, cause I can take it, put it on for a couple of days and then take it off. And my question is, oh, look mm-hmm. at there. I just got a link in my messages. <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. the thing is with it is <laughs> like last year and I know Batavia is going to roll her eyes. Now we had the big freeze. And I was out of town. And so I knew it was coming. So I set it up Mm -hmm. and I just walked away from it. And I said, well, here we go. And when I came back, I had a temperature sensor outside of it and inside of it. And I was reading the temperatures when I got back in town. And um, this is over Christmas. And it had gotten down to like 16 degrees outside, but it got to 20 degrees inside, right? But the next day, it only got up to a high of like 29, I believe, for the rest of my garden. But inside that cloth, Mm -hmm. it had gotten up to 58 degrees. So you can see that in that time period, like, yeah, things did freeze, but they thawed back out. And lo and behold, when I pulled it off, it looked like nothing had skipped a beat. I mean, nothing. it's not like it had grown a lot, but it had definitely came back. It had... um, it didn't have any noticeable sign of damages where the other beds next to it with the same stuff were showing damages. So that protection and that heat the next day made all the difference in the world. 
And that's why, like, where we are, and I'm in zone 8A in North Carolina, we don't have to really worry about it as much because, yeah, we may get a 20-degree night, but the next day could easily be 60 degrees. And so you're going to have that Mm -hmm. rebound Mm -hmm. temperature. Now, it's a headache because then you start getting things that want to bolt. But in the grand scheme of things, that's not the worst. And I mean, it can get up to 45, 50 degrees, whatever. But as soon as that that sun starts to hit it, my non-technical way of explaining it would be, and I'm probably going to use every word wrong known to man, but the water molecules inside of the plant don't stay frozen and then they can kind of redistribute the water throughout it so you don't get that dieback and you don't get that harsh burn on the plants where you you feel like you need to remove leaves and stuff like that. They can rebound. And that's why my greenhouse is so successful because, and I'm I'm not trying to trip and be like, I'm getting pounds and pounds out of my, you know, my six by eight greenhouse. But it does like whatever I put in there because I'm again, planting cold tolerant varieties but it doesn't really get that hard frost on it ever and then the next day it always is going to warm up every single time it'll warm up when the sun goes in the greenhouse so i can continue that process so it makes a huge difference absolutely it does i mean i think that's that changes everything as it relates to whether or not you are gardening in the winter or you're just basically buying yourself some time to get the last few vegetables out. So, and I mean, even in like, if you're in a zone like Batavia's where it stays cold, I think it's almost easier because you can set that on there and just let it ride basically and just manage the water inside of it. You may have to vent it during the day or something, but you don't have to remove the cloth and take it off and put it back on every day like we do. So you could extend your season by so much. And when it comes down to it, like when we had that cold frost, like I didn't even worry about the um, cabbages and collards and stuff like that. I put it on the tenders, Mm -hmm. like the lettuce and stuff. And we had lettuce, you know, we definitely had at some point to pull off some outer leaves. But I mean, let's face it, in the wintertime, we don't get perfect heads of lettuce. We definitely are pulling off the outer leaves and stuff like that, but it makes a huge difference in what you're doing. So think about it when you're setting up your gardens in the winter, or you're putting something to plant or you're going to right now, think about protecting it and not necessarily from keeping the cold off of it, but rebounding that cold. I think that's the part that a lot of people miss. And it took me a long time to realize that as well. Bless you. Excuse me. Thank you. Yeah, I think um, I want to underscore the note around. He said, we don't we're not getting perfect vegetables then Mm -hmm. anyway. Right. You know, and I think that the look of some of the vegetables that, you know, depending on how long those plants have been in, like I still have, you know, I still want to plant another fresh round of cabbage but the the uh the cabbage moth insists that it eats it right so i have a new six pack or four pack or something of of collards and those greens if i can get them in and get the the worms under control they're going to be younger plants versus the ones that are in the cage baby that have been battling for their lives you know all season long going back to the end of april Uh, and so that 
makes a difference as far as kind of what these plants look like when I'm harvesting them, you know, on December 1st, right? You know, and so generally speaking, I am like tossing a lot of these outer leaves depending on the plant because at some point, again, they're tattered, you know, they're worn, they may have get gotten hit by a frost. I'm getting something off of these plants, but it's not like I'm having this voluptuous, you know, basket of leaves, you know, that's not what it is. Um, and that's okay, yeah. you know, because at that point, again, I know this is the last of the days for these vegetables. Well, I mean, I think too, at that point, you're just thankful you're getting something out of your garden, to be honest. I mean, it's come exactly. to a point where it's like, look, I shouldn't even really be able to grow. And the fact that we're still Mm -hmm, eating from mm -hmm. it, it's like, you know, it's a blessing. So I think that that's definitely something that we can think about um, moving forward. And that's why I wanted to try these uh, row covers, because the one thing that the plastic does give me issues with is that moisture, because it doesn't let it out at all. And so it'll just sit there and Mm -hmm. stew and be really stale air inside of it. And that's why I was kind of thinking about going to the frost cloth this year because, you know, it'll still let air flow through it to some to some extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you don't have that same level of condensation that can form on um, on that plastic and drip down on your plants. Um, And then if you're going to use plastic, just make sure you're getting the right thickness for your area so you can't just go get you know like there's no need for me to use super thick plastic but i also can't use the thinnest plastic whereas you wouldn't use what i'm using you would use a different millimeter plastic i don't even know what i'm using at this point it's so long ago i've picked up six millimeter plastic just from your regular big box store um and i haven't you know interestingly enough i haven't read what the true difference is between greenhouse plastic Versus it's that. more UV protectant, um, so it doesn't ah, break down you. as fast. So, I mean, mm-hmm. that's one thing people need to realize is like plastic breaks down, but it doesn't break down in compost. It just breaks down into microplastics. So, it doesn't really go anywhere, mm-hmm. but it just becomes very useless. Like plastic pots and stuff like that. Like, I don't even, I'm not even, every time I come across one around here, unless it's like one of the black nursery pots, everything else I just kind of get rid of, you mm-hmm. know? Ag fabric is what you sent me. Yeah, okay. that's um, that's the I used that last fall, and I've actually used it all throughout the spring and summer. Now going back into fall, um, for my area, this is really important. For my area, instead of using insect netting, I use the row cover, which is really a like mm-hmm. for frost for a colder temps. I used that and I was wondering whether or not it would get too hot, right? Um, and so for my area, just again, probably the same reason why I can grow collards in June and July, no issues. Like it wasn't like it smothered the plants or anything like that. Um, so so it's it was good to me. Yeah, that's something that I do um, want to bring up too. Those, um, I did a video about it last year on Sandy Bottom Homestead um, about those little green plastic greenhouses people buy you can get them really cheap Mm -hmm. man those things are garbage dude Mm -hmm. they are absolutely worthless um they give you very little protection but it was just like you said they heat up super fast so um Mm -hmm. you know a lot Mm -hmm. of times what you recommend is like before you go to work in the morning you you roll up the window 
And um, so it can air out during the day. But if you live somewhere like you do, and you go to work at eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, like you're going to be letting in like sub freezing temperatures. It ain't going to do a damn bit of good. Yeah, exactly. And, but it ain't going to do any good to be 80 exactly. degrees in there in the afternoon, you know? So you're, you're talking wild temperature swings because those get the same temperature outside, inside as it does outside during the night. So um, mm-hmm. even my greenhouse will get, before I did anything else, it got the exact same temperature outside as inside. Now, I've made modifications to improve that, where now I'm keeping it on average four to six degrees warmer. So, that's a huge difference. You're talking a world of difference, but beforehand, it wasn't much of a change. Yeah, I think, um, gosh, this is, I'm looking at, at the time. I think I think we have we a little have time. bit. Um, there's so many kind of gadgets and and things like that. It's like, oh, buy it for this purpose. I thought and you were going to use the you use the G word. I thought you were going to use the right one. Gimmicks. Which is the <laughs> yeah yeah gimmicks. Thank you. I was I was searching for the word. Thank you. Um, that. And, you know, I really hope that the green plastic greenhouse works in someone's garden somewhere in the world. I don't know if I've met anyone, <laughs> but I think you look at even like, you know, you go back to the row cover. Um, I think that they give some pretty general, excuse me, pretty specific um, guidance when they talk about like temperatures that this is said to protect plants under. Now, we also have microclimates, right? Yeah, so my weather Bingo. app is not, I don't have a setup where I can say the true temperature at my house, right? I'm just using the app that comes on my iPhone, you know? So it could be five degrees cooler, yeah. you know, in my backyard. It definitely is going to be at least two, three, four degrees warmer in the front yard where the sun is still shining then compared to the backyard that gets so little daylight you know, once we get into the later part of the year. Um, so I say that to say, like, um, just here's the old Batavia, temper your expectations. Well, you I know. think, you know, I can give you an example of that. My yard compared to my. Wait, wait. I said that with a hug. I did. did you hear it in my voice? I did. That came with a hug. Um, yeah. My yard compared to my neighbor's yard. So my yard sits a little bit lower and his is a little bit higher. We'll actually get a frost. Usually I've noticed in the past couple of years, about three days before him. So, you know, you can kind of put that into perspective. So elevation makes a difference. And then you also have how much wind your property gets. So like Mm -hmm. for me, Mm -hmm. mine is very, my lot is very wooded. So I only have wind that comes in really from one direction. So that works as protection. Now I have my garden split into two sections. And so the wild garden is actually protected on three sides. And one side that is actually protected on is from the direction the wind would come in on. So it it doesn't get beat as hard. Mm -hmm. So you can see how this kind of unfolds and you can use this to your advantage knowing that. Um, but like you said, if you don't have temperature sensors and so, and you can get like a Wi-Fi temperature sensor for like 10 bucks off Amazon, a little Bluetooth one. Um, it's super cheap. I have one in my greenhouse. I need to get a couple more. Very cheap. And you can use those. But at the same time, like your apps on your phones and stuff like that, they work just fine. I mean, 
at this time of the year, the way I'm looking at it is if you are protecting from your first frost like so what you're a couple days if you know you're not going to get that first frost because you have a little microclimate around your area you're you're just protected you know good for you um i wouldn't worry too much about it but just know that that is a thing you know if you were like looking and you had something Mm -hmm. very tender like your like last year we were trying to make our tomatoes go as long as possible and we had a, a, a early freeze last year so last year in October, we had a frost and then two days later is 85 degrees again. And then we didn't get another frost all the way until December. But guess what happened in that first frost? It wiped out my tomatoes where I really had another month to two months of growing time left. So you can see how that yeah. kind of set us back last year. There, uh, t- so I'm glad you brought up tomatoes because you would have bid my head off of if I would have brought up tomatoes. Um so tomatoes and peppers. So for me and my garden, and I want to be explicit in my garden, I'm not telling you what you do with your peppers and yours. I've had frost and peppers still on the plant and they be yeah. okay. Like they're not frost, uh, you know, scald or whatever the term is. Um, I'm not, if it's a day, which again, a lot of times it's not, if it's just one night, it's going to get down to, uh, you know, frost, then, I'll let them live, right? Um, now, for also for me, peppers generally do really well once I bring them inside. They keep for mm-hmm. quite a while, even on the dining room table um, or in a cooler place like my basement. Um, I've had also peppers where I have pulled the plant up. I like to pull all my plants out going into the season. That's the best version of Batavia. If you see plants still in my garden in January, like they're dead and just looking like a ghost town, it was a rough yeah. fall for your girl. <laughs> like, yeah. um, so I've actually pulled plants out of the ground, put them into a big container and stuffed them into the garage right like it's a couple of degrees warmer in there than it's going to be once that temperature goes down because i just didn't have time to like quite literally i didn't have time to take peppers off of the plant yeah. you know to pick the peppers and so that worked just fine i've brought them inside which is kind of a little bit icky because you're bringing everything else inside with you too and these are not necessarily containers of peppers these are again just things i've pulled up by the root uh, so tomatoes though the tomatoes I pull them out before a frost because they are just the saddest thing you'll ever see in a garden what's <laughs> once that that frost hits them uh, so just to know like everything isn't like D-Day um, summer vegetables generally speaking yeah you're pretty much done but some of these um, cooler weather crops you could still get well, some life I, out of I them I wouldn't have bit your head off for doing it I just don't want to give the impression that we're trying to make tomatoes grow throughout the year you know um Mm -hmm. i remember when i had first got my greenhouse and i put a video up somebody asked me like oh when you what kind of tomatoes are you going to grow in it during the winter and it was like no that's not how this works you know this is not a heated greenhouse this is an unheated greenhouse and i was very clear about that but the Mm -hmm. general consensus Mm -hmm. among people um and even when i first started thinking about it myself was like okay cool like let's see what we can do but as i started looking into it more it's like no no this is not an option like there is no option to put a tomato in here because it will in fact die so um and that's like dude trying to keep something at 50 degrees or higher at night in the winter time that's like a whole next level thing and it's not impossible but i don't feel like doing it 
You know what I mean? You got to have power. You got to have protection. You got to have backups. You got to have, you know, watering. You got, I mean, it's just a whole next level scenario. And then you've got to have special venting because you can't have stuff coming in, like cold air coming in and it'll shock them. And it's just way too much. Um, and that's why I think, and, you know, not to get on any kind of soapbox or anything, but the seasonal eating thing is like, I accept that we're not going to get any tomatoes in the winter and I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to move on and I'm going to eat my greens and be happy and be regular and all that stuff and move on. <laughs> oh, we're I don't want to no. hear about you being regular. Uh, so you, you being regular. Okay. Yeah, no, that's not, I don't, you'd never hear me <laughs> go there with you on, on the show. show, on the show. Like when I call you at 7 a.m. Yeah, maybe. Um, so tomato pie. Check out Young Ben on Instagram under Sandy Bottom Homestead. One of his reels, like from, I don't know, about when you hear this about six weeks ago, he flashes the recipe, the recipe, just the recipe. (laughs) So the important part is I have made tomato pie and my heart is broken that I'm this big age and I've just started to Mm -hmm. eat tomato pie. But the saving grace is I've also frozen individual slices and then taken them out of the freezer and reheated them. And it is like my eyes. It's just still beautiful. It's still gorgeous and delicious. And so um, that's your best chance at having a taste of tomato. Unless you can do that, you know. Yeah, I mean, preserving and stuff like that is how we kind of mitigate that. But as far as like fresh goes, we don't even worry about it. So there you go. That's a tender, time sensitive vegetables and really just plan it out. You know, knowing what's tender and then planning out your planting. And even still, you have time to get this stuff in the ground. And with a little bit of protection, you can go a little bit longer, wouldn't you say? I agree. And I don't normally do this, but I am going to send you directly to um, my YouTube channel if you're interested in low tunnels. We talked about hoop houses. I have a video from a couple of years ago, but it's still the same I still use the same method. I I did three different methods of um, building low tunnels. So I think it's quite literally that. I think that's the name of it. I was searching. I couldn't get to my channel. Couldn't get to the name of the video. Um, It's under the DIY playlist. Uh, So check it out if you're interested in, you know, walking through what that looks like. It's uber simple. I use the same method to use my regular covers, the row covers, the tool fabric. It's all the same process. I think the most important note when it comes to that kind of thing is making sure you don't have a hot house in there. Um, And, you know, if, if your temperature requires it allows for some level of ventilation, if you're using plastic, that's definitely what I was using in that video. Um, So, so yeah, it's oh the channel is yeah. be better garden. Just and we may <laughs> or may not have an episode coming up about everything covers. We haven't discussed that at all yet, but um, we may have that coming up at some point because there is a lot of things you can do with covers, a lot of different uses and stuff. And this, like Batavia said, the structure can mm-hmm. be the same. So there is that. And if I do get a cloth, I will test it out 
on my channel as well. I would be curious to see how it compares. Well, now since I got the plastic, that sounds like fun. Comparing which one does better for me. I don't know. It might be too much mm. work. Oh, you know I love I a good garden do. experiment. It's how to build hoops, low tunnels for your garden beds. Three ways is the name of the video. And I immediately started picturing two beds side by side, but one of them has a bunch of tomatoes in it. So <laughs> there's that. <laughs> but if I could have planted side by side, you know, and then use the plastic for one and the um, and the row cover for another. Add it to the list, Leonard. 2029. 2029, let's do it. But... What we're not going to do in 2029 or wait until 2029 is we're not going to wait to tell you about the planter app. This is a great app. It's a longtime sponsor of the show and for good reason, because it's an amazing app. It helps you plan your garden, gives you all your growing guides, your planting dates specific to your area once you enter them in. It's a drag and drop interface. You can use it on your computer, your tablet or your phone. You ever sat in a doctor's office and thought, hey, I'd like to just go ahead and plan my garden? Boom. Go for it. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing stopping you. Nice and clean. Square foot interface. Combative and companion plantings. It's all there, man. Growing guides out the wazoo. Thousands of varieties. Customizable just for you. You are a gardener and you deserve to plan your garden appropriately. And the Planter app is there to help you. And it's available on Android and Apple. And that's the P-L-A-N-T-E-R app. And you can check, use the link down below to get a discount on the Planter app. And that being said, since I said Planter app, you know what time it is, everybody. It's time for the Spotify question of the day. While you look this up, I'm putting the spotlight on my head. Baby, let me tell you, that hoop video is from November 2019, and I was fit. (laughs) I could see the definition of my chin. This was definitely pre-pandemic and all the things that it was. It was pre-tomato pie. Oh, good guy. Which, which would you rather yeah. have, a defined chin or a tomato pie? Well, there tomato pie every day and twice on Sundays. But that's the reason why there's not a defined. Holla at your boy. <laughs> all right. So, all right. Question Patricia, of the day. Patricia, this is right up your alley. Writes us and she goes, "It's not really a question, but a comment." Shredded paper and cardboard combined with urine makes a ton of compost. Patricia, thank you. You're exactly right. So, Batavia does not do compost. It, she would definitely not do this. Her eyes are giant right now. No, no. This is the moment when you think you know me. I'm like, if I have, you know what I have the most of in my life? shredded paper or paper that can be shredded cardboard and urine baby (laughs) patricia (laughs) did this just become my garden love language i don't i was for a split second i thought twice about you know forget about the mice and said wait a minute now i can do this so i learned about um you know the cardboard and shredded paper yes definitely but the urine part is something a lot of people have a hard time with I came across a YouTube channel years ago, um, I think it's a Canadian channel, well done garden channel. Mm -hmm. I can't find it again to save my life. They had done a handful of episodes and every one of them were great. The style, everything, but they just didn't stick with it. But um, they made their own compost and this lady was saying um, how they, they pee in a bucket 
in the winter time and then they dump it in their compost. And so I immediately was like, oh yeah, we're going to do this for sure. We didn't pee in a bucket, but, um, it's on a regular basis. My son will be outside and be like, can I go pee in the compost? Like you damn right. So urine is filled with nitrogen. That's why it burns plants when you pee on your grass and stuff, Mm -hmm. because you're just basically over fertilizing it. So it's a very good, it does two things for your compost. One it gives it that nitrogen boost, but two, it keeps it moist. And if you're turning it and you're aerating it, you don't get the smell, nothing like that. Like we've done it for years and it works wonders. So, um, I definitely agree with Patricia. Um, it is the unsexy side of gardening, but there have definitely been times when I've been filming a video and I'll walk over my compost pile and be like, Oh, hold on. And I've turned the camera off so I didn't, I'm like I don't want to catch getting caught peeing in my compost, but it really does work well, um, and it create what it does too. If you're a man and you're doing it, is it creates a channel into it which allows air to feed down into the compost too, which is fuel for a compost pile. So there's multiple things happening here. So definitely works. I agree with her. And in the fall, it works great because you have all those leaves and garden plants and everything. Mm, good stuff. So sometimes when young Ben gets the question from Leonard, he shares it with me and sometimes he doesn't. I've never been so happy to not know where this, this comment was going to (laughs) be, where we were headed. Yeah, man. I mean, that's, you know, I've, um, I don't, obviously you've done a lot more uh, reading on this and actually doing it than I have. I have watched um, a documentary you know, there's a, there are a few channels out there that kind of go and and really interview and, and work through, um, you know, some unique living situation that has to do with growing food and, and so on. You know, maybe semi off grid, like that's one of my jams. Right. And so um, I have seen comments around kind of the way that waste is managed. Um, I've seen feedback on that. Um, and the only note that I've I feel like I've read multiple times is, you know, you have to be careful of medications that people may be on if you're using waste in that way. Um, but that's all I have to contribute other than, you know, I feel like there's some uh, rock starness and yeah, Patricia and for bringing you know, it up. You, you bring up a, a question. I think it's a valid point, what you just said about medications and stuff. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I did a video years ago about using straw mulch and a lot of people watch it. Uh, often and the number one question i get are are you worried about herbicides used and it's like Mm -hmm. you know you don't worry about it when you pee in the toilet and it goes away or you know if there's another guy and he walks outside he's like well i gotta go pee go pee by a tree he ain't worried about killing that tree because of the medication he's on i don't understand And part of this is just kind of like, well, I can't do anything about it, so whatever. But I don't understand the obsession behind it. And it may have made me sound like a jerk or whatever, but I feel like it's just too much, you know? Like when people go to the farms and stuff like that, and you're getting like, you're not worried about that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? When you go to the grocery store and whatnot. So it's just, it's weird to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I feel mm -hmm, like it's something to mm -hmm. freak out about that like we can't really control. You know what I mean? And I don't know, like, is there a list of medications that could be in your urine that would be a problem for adding to compost or to anywhere? 
I don't know. I just I, listen. Let's don't rain on Patricia and me. Hey, I, she didn't I just say anything said, about it. Hey, you did. You brought it up. <laughs> well, don't rain on me. Well, no, we're kindred spirits now. We're oh, arm okay. in arm. So you rain on me about this, you know, compost urine, and then you're raining on her too. No, in all seriousness, I do think that there is something there, there around the things that we object to. Right. Uh, that's dude that's a whole other episode that, that maybe need to be a patreon subscription episode because the place i need to dig into to get there <laughs> that's one of those experimental episodes you don't know where it's going to go and to be clear i don't know how i feel about yeah, it either yeah. but i know that i can't really i can't concern myself too much with it because i feel like i would never put anything in my garden you know what mm-hmm, i mean mm-hmm, like i'd be like mm-hmm, mm-hmm, i'd go to lowe's mm-hmm, and be like mm-hmm. um what's on the the ms data for this uh bag of soil like what what went in it you know <laughs> we're we're over but one final note and there's a delay so i'm going to say this and then i'm going to stop talking until i know it's my time to close this out um so a lot of the seedlings that i buy like you know my brassicas almost all of them i've i've continued to buy transplants and i talked to you about this earlier in the year i think it's like those things are beautiful now generally speaking when i'm buying them in the spring you know, the cabbage moth isn't out. But once you get later into, you know, they still have some at the end of April and they still look beautiful. You know that there's been some spray happening at some point between, you know, where they were grew and then dropping them off at your local Home Depot or Lowe's. Right. But I still look at it to say I use organic methods like it's once I've adopted this thing, it's all about how I treat it once it yeah. gets into my garden. Right. You know, so let's just I mean. You know, the the easiest way to avoid all of that would be to start everything from seed. But then I could dig deeper and say, well, what's are there traces of insert the thing I'm concerned about in the seed that was harvested from the plant that was grown? Like, yeah, it, it's it's definitely a. Um, a Pandora's yeah, box. It's a Pandora's box that um, we may have to open on another show, but this is not the one for it, everybody, because um, you're exactly right. There is. um you know, I, I've had seedlings sit outside that got ravished and I had to spray them, you know. So, you know, at some, I mean, you've had aphids in your house. You know what I mean? Like, you know that like if they're in a, Ooh, yeah, we, us, we both. Oh, I was yeah. just trying to put it all, I, I was just know. trying to Don't pin it all on you. Don't me. be trying to overtalk me on this one. <laughs> <laughs> If I want to tell the world that I had aphids in my house, let me you tell did. the world. You did. Well, oh. In this moment, I didn't. <laughs> we have like thousands of new listeners. They didn't hear uh, me that no. time. No. Yeah, I've had aphids in my house. She's lo- it's, I've had cabbage worms in my house when I brought greens in. Oh, you know, so yeah. let's just keep it really yeah. real, son. Now, how aphids get into our house, I haven't figured that out. But that being said, in a big greenhouse where there, you, you know you know that these things are in there. So yeah, there's probably stuff sprayed on them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and then think, I, that's funny, I've never even thought about it, but you're exactly right. There it is, everybody. We're going to have to cut this one because uh, we could go on for another hour about this, which we may do in the future. Because you know what? We do a couple things here. We learn to grow and we grow for change. See ya. Now you know why people feel like celebrating at harvest time. 
All over the world, people have feasting and good times when the crops have been gathered in. Hey, everybody. Thanks for checking out the Backyard Gardens podcast. If you like what we're doing and you want to continue to support the podcast, head over to our Patreon page to sign up. You can also make a one-time donation using PayPal. Both of these links are in the description. With your support, we can continue growing and helping others in their gardens. See ya. If you guys want some Backyard Gardens gear, go to the link below and check out our t-shirts, mugs, pint glasses, and other gear. All purchases go towards helping to support the show, so thank you so much in advance, and we hope you enjoy. We want everybody to have a garden, and we're going to give you a chance to win free seeds every month. Head over to BackyardGardensTV.com and enter your email address to be entered in all of our giveaways. Good luck! We want you to be a part of our gardening community. DM us a picture of your garden at Backyard Gardens TV on Instagram, and we will share it with our listeners.